0: Good morning, Grace Chapel. Good morning. Got a big question for you today as we start uh, back up into the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' own words, but here it is. Would you say that you are a humble person? So don't put your hand up because it just wrecks the whole thing right there. Um, what would you use as proof to back up the claim that you're saying you're a humble person? Yeah, what would you do? Um, Maybe more importantly than, than all that is what would people you, you know, who know you fairly well, would they say that you're a humble person, that you're a humble human being? What, w- what would they say about us? What would they say about me? What would they say about you? I know a few people who are very humble. Do you? Like their, their face, their name comes right to your mind. When I said the word humble, they were right beside that. And one of the things I realize about them is they don't think they're humble. And that may be one of the the, the clearer perspectives that they have about themselves, that they're not humble, that is such a big part of why they come across like they are humble. They realize who they are. They've got a good self-perception of who they are. Uh, And with each beatitude behavior that we have looked at back in chapter 5, with, with both the saltiness and the, the light giving calling that each of us have been called to, behind our outward expression of living out the, the spirit of the word of God, not so much the letter of the word of God, Jesus has promoted this, this attitude, have you seen it? It's this attitude of humility <clears throat> that is missing in, in, in the church today. It really There are people, men and women who, who show this and they stand out, but as a whole, I'm I'm seeing a real lack of it. Instead of desiring power and acceptance, instead of demanding our rights, blessed people that God calls blessed back in chapter 5 are those who recognize their complete and utter dependence on God and on nothing else. No other human institution, no other human being. It's God, and it's all about Him. So as we've cracked open... Jesus' words so far in this sermon, as they have spilled onto the frying pan of our lives, have you been struck with the sizzling fact that the road to discipleship is difficult? Have you been hit with that right in the face? I have. And as we are going to discover today, as we move into chapter 6, this road of discipleship, this difficult road of discipleship is also going to be littered with all kinds of hypocrites and false prophets. And they're calling out to you and I every day, from outside the church and from inside the church of God. Do you find it easy to appear righteous? To appear? No, I'm I'm not saying to be. Do you find it easy to to come across as righteous at times, to to do good deeds, um, when it's obvious that someone else is going to see you doing it? or or hear about the fact that you are doing it, so you come across that way. There was this pastor that I was told about early on in in ministry. The pastor I was under told me this story, true story of of a guy he knew. And he would park his car in the church parking lot every morning. And then his wife would come in their second car and pick him up, and they would go wherever. And he did that every day especially he made sure his car was there during the morning and evening commutes so that anybody driving past the church would look over and go, oh, Pastor, man, he's always in the office. That guy's working so hard. And then they would come back late at night to get the car and take it home and then do that every day. And he thought he was being clever. Um, But apparently it was found out And then they gave him a raise because they figured he was so clever that they... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. But it's so easy to put on a show, isn't it? We all know how to do it. And we know when to do it. But to uphold God's perfect standard of righteousness day in and day out when the days are long and the nights are hard And stuff's coming at you fast and furious. To be what Jesus left us with last week. This is where we left off. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. We've got to discipline our insides. We've got to discipline our minds, our thoughts, not just our actions. We have to become more aware that it is the amazing god the creator of this vast universe and of you and i that it is this god we've got to become aware that he sees everything we do but more than that he sees down deep to places inside of me that i'm not even aware of that i don't even understand and god gets it all he created it all so we can fake who we are on the outside and Um, wouldn't you admit that we get pretty good at that and that these little children who just went out the door over there they've already learned how to do that Uh, we're we're good at this as human beings it's a talent that we've developed very proficiently and and last week as as we closed out chapter 5 Jesus advocates a righteousness that goes beyond the letter of the law that's where most of us stop to the spirit of what God's really getting at with his law in the Old Testament. So now, from that kind of practical behavior that Jesus has outlined for us, uh, a practical behavior of humility towards our friends and what's the opposite of our friends? Our enemies. This is, that's where it gets hard. A life expression that's rooted in hearts of love. That's chapter five. Jesus now turns to three specifically religious duties in chapter six, verses one to 18. Giving, praying, and fasting. Have you done all three in your life? Giving, praying, and fasting. These duties were um, the natural expressions. The natural expressions of God's worshipers, God worshipers, as found in the Old Testament but running through all this teaching jesus is warning us about parading those good necessary religious duties before men by making it not about our worship of god so what matters is this as we go through today this is what matters what does god see what does our god in heaven see what's he seeing right now as i stand here And you sit there. Because he's not looking on the outside. He's looking on the inside. Prayer. Jesus summarizes the next section of his teaching with these words. Verse 1, chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. From your father who is in heaven so what is the result of practicing your righteousness before other people God sees it for what it is it's empty it's not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and you will have no reward from your father it's temporal satisfaction is it satisfying yes it's temporal though uh or to use Jesus' words in his opening volley across the decks of our lives back in chapter 5 of the sermon when he began it, God does not call this kind of behavior blessed. So how can we balance this, you and I? I mean, uh, because we're all about the outside. Um, We're all about the outside when we look at politicians speak. We're all about the outside when we look at each other and how we act towards each other. How can we balance practicing righteousness like like attendance you're all here today and some people are watching online that's attendance how can we practice balancing our attendance for worship loving of our neighbor giving to those who are in need but not do it in order to be seen how do you do that but to be a light to others as as jesus said in chapter 5 verse 16 that that your father that that they may see your good works and then give glory to your father who is in heaven So Jesus has a list today in chapter 6. He's got a list, and he is checking it twice. Jesus has a list of things that you and I can do to practice righteousness. It's not new information. We've all heard these three words, haven't we? Prayer, fasting, giving. But Jesus tells us how to do these three things, in particular, in order to keep them righteous. In order that they be righteous and guess what receive a reward from God anybody here want to be rewarded from God I mean well here we go but we need to pause here because we're humans and when we hear the word reward and we hear the word receive we get all excited go tell everybody (laughs) that we're gonna get a reward is that the real motivation Is that really what it's about? Are we so self-gratifying that we need a bribe to do the right thing? It's like parents with your kids or you when you were a kid. Clean your room and we'll go out for ice cream. None of you have ever used anything like that. I know. And your kids just clean the room because it's expected. It's the right thing to do. But for those few who might, are we like that? then we need a reward, a bribe from God to do what is expected anyway. By the way, I like ice cream. Why we give, why we pray, why we might even fast, why we might sacrifice our time, our talents, and our treasure, why we might even be here today worshiping because it's communion Sunday, which is different than all the other Sundays somehow. So what is the nature of this reward that God is talking about? I would like to suggest today that as you read God's word and as you get the spirit of what Jesus is saying in his message here, that just our response to the great command, which he's going to get to, to the golden rule to love God and to love others first, is in and of itself an amazing reward. Just doing that is a reward. Being able to do that in righteousness because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins is a reward. Especially because that blessing of God, the blessing just to to know that God looks at what we are doing and calls it blessed because we're doing it in righteousness, that's a reward. It can't be quantified by stuff, material things in this world, and it's never regarded as merited. We're only able to do these things because of Jesus Christ. But the reward is still very real, and it's an obvious promise from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Three times he's going to say it as we go through this. There is nothing degrading in working for the reward of a good, clear conscience to be able to go to bed at night and sleep and rest because you are good with God. The reward of an increased holiness in your lifestyle, the reward of just knowing that what you have done, you have served God and you've done it well and for the right reasons. So helpfully, Jesus contrasts this reward he's talking about with the reward that the many, many hypocrites in our world receive. Yours is eternal. It's the kingdom of God. Theirs is temporal. It's about life and possessions and all those things are going to pass. They're going to burn up one day. So Jesus gives us a heads up here in these, these next verses in understanding how does all this religious stuff, the rituals, the traditions, how does this all work? First, one that's close to all of our wallets. I mean, close to all of our hearts. Giving. He tells us how hypocrites give. This is what they do. Verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. I'm about to give. Everybody, you hear this? Here it comes. Watch. Watch me now. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Oh, look, he just put money in that poor man's bowl. What an amazing man. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. How do Christians give? But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We've all been challenged over the years to give to the ministry accomplished here through Grace Chapel. We've all been challenged to volunteer our times and our efforts on mission experiences and mission trips and and, and at places like Oakland Hope here in, in town. We've all been challenged to reach out to our neighbors during difficult times. The left hand needs to be unaware of what the right hand is doing, and that is a very common expression for complete secrecy. It forbids you and I to gloat over how good we are. Don't even go there. I like how John Stott says it. Christians, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice, and I love this, and then self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. The motive deep down inside is so very important. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He, he's driving us towards this understanding. He doesn't mean that no one should ever know that we did something, that we, that we, we did some charitable giving or, or some charitable service or that we care and we do acts of righteousness. I mean, the people we do it for will probably know if they're physical things, right? Pretty hard to fix somebody's roof and they don't know you're up there. Like in Acts chapter um, 4 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're told about the generosity in detail of Barnabas. And we're told about how the Macedonian churches got it together and gave out of, out of their lack. And we're told about these two, in the, this, this, the, the churches in Barnabas, and they're mentioned to promote what it looks like to be righteous before other people. And to do it without drawing attention to your own righteousness so it's about the heart isn't it it always is it's safer if you're if you're wondering how to do it it's safer to give in secret isn't it it's doing all you can while you are giving and if people are going to know to always point to be a light that points to the author of where all the gifts came from, our Father who is in heaven. So now, let's move on to praying. Praying. How do the hypocrites do it? Jesus says, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Playing at prayer. Have we ever done this? There are many people who think Christians are like this. These kinds of hypocrites. You know, praying these grandiose words, but never following through to do anything about what it is they just prayed for. Oh Lord, please send someone to help help them, but not me. And you can see why, right? All the religious showmen and showwomen who are on the networks looking for the admiration of their colleagues, and by the way, please call this number and give. They already have their reward. That's all they're going to get the praise of people. They have already received it, Jesus said, in full. Like, case closed, it's over. And that's a terrible ir- There's terrible irony in his words, isn't there? So how how do Christians pray? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. <laughs> never mind. Jason, where's Jason? Yeah, shut the door, keep out the devil. Can we do that one at the... No, never mind. <laughs> no. Jason's going, no. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Interesting. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray like this, prayer is communion with God. He's the author of life. He's the author of creation. He's the author of salvation. Prayer is not a means of increasing your reputation before other people. To pray with a view to impress people is really messed up, isn't it? I mean. I mean, just think about how ludicrous and crazy that is that we we would even consider going there. And Jesus calls on praying people to consider what it is they're actually doing. Not while they're praying, before they're praying. Get it together. I mean, we should be concentrating on the matters at hand, the things that really matter to God's heart, and be laying those before him. Think about what you're praying about. Forget what other people think. About your word choices forget what people think about your piety or your great knowledge of Scripture and you quote the whole book of the Bible while you're praying it doesn't matter we're communing with God it's not primarily our prayers are not primarily teaching and preaching points can that happen yes but that's a byproduct. That's not the main event. We're not to be worried about what man thinks, but really concerned about what God expects. What pleases God? Do you remember how Jesus finished his excruciating prayer in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. So if you have to, if you have to, because you've got these temptations and you're all worried about what other people think, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. So it's good to have these private moments, these private places of prayer. Jesus modeled that. Do you remember when they woke up in the morning and the disciples said, where'd he go? Because he wasn't there. He got up before any of them, found himself a nice quiet spot, and he prayed with the Father. They had to go find him. Remember how last week Jesus said to do whatever it takes to avoid unrighteousness? Do you remember how he he, he said that? And he used those extreme expressions, uh, cut off your hand, tear out your eye. Those are, that's hyperbole. He wasn't asking you to do that because it wouldn't help. Because you've got another eye and another hand. He uses the extremes and he emphasizes it in a similar way here. He says, if, if, if this is an issue with you, you just find yourself this room and shut the door, no windows. Lock it, don't let anybody in. Be secure from the observation of men so you're not tempted to pray with men in mind. To be thinking about what people think and listen Instead of what God is listening to, every precaution should be taken if that's a problem. So prayer is a command. It's not simply a. De- it's not simply desirable. It's a good thing to do. It's absolutely necessary for yours and for my survival. And back in verse four, your you're giving it says your giving is to be in secret. Did you hear? You remember that? And we talked a little bit about that. And the Father is said to see your giving in secret. But here we have an interesting expression that Jesus uses. And pray to your Father who is in secret. You see that secret place that you and I should go to. Where it's just you and God will exclude everybody else except for God. Because He is there. In the secret places we we set aside for our private communion with him, he's there. So wherever we worship or whenever we ask for wisdom, um, however often we petition on behalf of ourselves or for someone else, God sees not only the outward appearance, but he drills down to our heart. And he knows the motives with which we come To pray and that's why I think sometimes God shakes us up before we get to the prayer time that's why God reminds us of things and clarifies what's going on in our life or maybe a shock to our system so that we're better prepared to depend absolutely on him because everything else has been taken away the essence of Christian prayer is to seek God Behind all true prayer lies a conversation with God. The psalmist puts it so beautifully in Psalm 27, verse 8. The psalmist says, God, you have said, seek my face. So my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek, nothing else. I love that. And Jesus explains what he means with a model prayer. And that's where we're going to go next week with that. So for now, let's move on to Jesus' last and third illustration of what you and I can do to practice righteousness. And this is a big topic today, especially in the health world. But here we go. Fasting. You don't have to put your hand up, but have, have any of you ever really fasted, like, like for more than an hour? That would be fasting. All right. He tells us how the hypocrites fast. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy. (laughs) It's hard not to look gloomy when you're hungry. But when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Oh, I'm just so hungry. I'm I'm doing this for God. You guys see me? Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. How do Christians fast? Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, put on a suit and tie that your fasting may not be seen by others because they won't know, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus describes genuine fasting. This isn't about weight loss. That's where it's gone, even in the Christian community, maybe especially in the Christian community. This isn't about weight loss per se. It's not about incorporating health-conscious disciplines into your life. There's nothing wrong with bodily disciplines. Please, I, I, I do it myself. But don't confuse them with biblical fasting. Please don't go there. It drives me nuts, and I have to be humble and zip my lip, but... Don't confuse them. Bodily discipline profits; it does. What does Paul say? A little, <laughs> but it's just temporal. I'm waiting for my new body. We're talking spiritual here, Jesus is. And that relates to eternity, forever. And that relates to how God grows us, how he transforms us how he he initially saved us, how he sees us, how he rewards us, and how he uses us. That's what we're talking about. And similar to his teaching about giving to the poor and praying to God, Jesus here warns against fasting in a way that someone else will know you are. It's about your own righteousness then, not Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that you and I, without Jesus Christ, don't have any righteousness. So why would you brag about anything else than Jesus Christ? In Jesus' era, fasting typically occurred along, it's interesting, it occurred along with praying and giving and worshiping God. and was often related to the confession of sins. Oh, note to self about fasting. In the Bible, it was often related to the confession of sins, or seeking God in humble petition and surrender. I'm going to give you a couple of references in the Old Testament so you can kind of we kind of get a picture of this. First, Moses. Moses fasted. Deuteronomy 9:18. Then I lay prostrate. He's telling the children of Israel how they didn't get destroyed because of what he did for them. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, 40 days and 40 nights. Someone else did that too. I, na- I neither ate bread nor drank water. Whoa! Because of all the sin that you had committed, he's fasting for them in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger, for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you. He had actually said, I'm, taking, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses. You go with your wife, you have kids, and we'll start this thing all over again. But I got on my face, and I didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was ready to destroy you, but the Lord listened to me that time also. Fasting's a big deal between a follower of Jesus Christ and God. David, King David, 2 Samuel 12, 15, and the Lord afflicted, this is is the illegitimate child that David fathered through Bathsheba, had her her husband murdered on the battlefield, and then they have the baby, and the prophet says it's going to die. This this child's going to die. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And by the way, God did not answer his fast. The child died. Anna, in Luke 2, 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Panuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple all that time. Worshiping, how? How How can you worship God? You can do this with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Do you know why? Because Joseph and Mary were dedicating Jesus Christ, the Christ, in the temple. And to speak of him, that's Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The elders in the Antioch church, Acts 13, 2. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, two of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This kind of fasting is pretty different than healthy weight loss, wouldn't you say? It's pretty different from self-improvement. It's pretty different from uh, some kind of self realization technique. Jesus has just taken us through the three main areas of traditional religious devotion fasting, giving, and prayer. And he warns us against this kind of showy, self serving devotion that can influence our worship. It really can. And I'm afraid it does. It creeps in so subtly. He warns against this, any kind of mechanical formalism that we might bring to even getting up in the morning and coming to church on, on Sunday. And it can be found in our religion. It can be found in the way we live our lives during the week. Three times, did you, know, did you get see that? Three times Jesus summarized the end game for this kind of bragging as it relates to giving prayer and fasting three times he says truly I say to you they have received their reward that's all you get fleeting ultimately unsatisfying discontent this Christian thing isn't working all kinds of responses you can get it's the game people play now oh, I'm having a flashback every night and every day now not meaning what they say now not saying what they mean oh yeah sincere obedience to god's word is the key to an authentic devotional life can i say that again sincere obedience and practice of god's word is the key to authentic devotional life we're not playing to any gallery We're humbly living in the light of God, the Father's declared will, and we have it. You can count on it. And this is the attitude, this is the way of living that God not only can but will reward with his blessing. So three times Jesus summarizes his disciples' religious duties when done with this kind of humility. Back to the question I asked at the beginning would we consider ourselves to be a humble church? Humble people. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The same Jesus who taught us this this morning is the same Jesus who God sacrificed on the cross to pay for your and my sin debt so that we upon profession of that faith can be declared righteous, can do these religious acts of service in a righteous way that the world will see and know that we are salt and we are light and it is because of God. And they will ask a reason for the hope that we have within us and we will tell them, it's Jesus.